Welcome. This is The Women Who Bring to Life What's Next, a podcast series by Capgemini Invent. In this series, we explore how some of the world's most successful women leaders transform their businesses, connect humans and technology, and make a difference in the world. My name is Courtney Pace. I'm the head of strategy and head of private equity for Frog, a Capgemini Invent company. Today, I'm joined by McCall John Lee Swite, who is the founder and CEO of Wealthmore, a solution bringing the best smart money, technology, and community experience to its users. McCall, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Courtney. It's a pleasure to be here today. We're so excited to have you. You have an incredible career spanning years at Amex, managing strategic partnerships, card acquisition, and co-branded cards. And then at J.P. Morgan Chase, driving innovation initiatives for small businesses, managing over $22 billion credit card portfolio. And of course, now at Wealthmore, the company that, that you founded and are currently the CEO of. When you look back at this incredible career, what were the most pivotal moments for you that brought you to where you are today? And um, we're particularly curious what inspired you to take the leap from the Fortune 500 to the startup world. When I look at my career, it has certainly been the new product launches, innovative solutions that have been the most pivotal and critical roles in my career. It has always been when we have looked at a customer and said, is there a better solution, an innovative product that deliver better value to consumers? And those initiatives have always been the ones that have had the biggest impact on my career. It is looking at new customer bases, looking at new products, and frankly, shaking up the status quo. And those are, by all means, in all honesty, very high stakes roles, tons of visibility throughout the organization. And frankly, at at times, many folks who are a bit skeptical that you can change the way people use products, that you can sort of remove barriers to entry, you can introduce new concepts into how people think about money and be successful doing it and not have sort of negative outcomes of that. I have embraced those opportunities because I've always felt that they are in service of better products and solutions for customers, but certainly they come with high risk and high reward. And I've been fortunate that those have been successful initiatives and I benefited both by helping customers, but also given the opportunity to take on more initiatives and do more things to help customers based on that successful track record. From your journey from Amex to JPM to Wealthmore, what are the biggest lessons that you learned along the way? Courtney, I would say the biggest lesson learned would be find your voice faster. When you have a seat at that table and you are there for a reason, you have great talent, insights to share, find your voice faster. It will do you well in your career. It will allow you to share great ideas, get recognized for them, but also it will allow you to have a voice presence and be part of the dialogue at that table. And looking back in my career, I felt like it took me way too long. I think we second guess ourselves as women. We don't want to speak up unless we have the perfect answer, unless we fully researched it. And I would encourage women to find their voice faster and be comfortable sharing your voice at the table. When I joined Frog, one of the pieces of advice that was given to me that stuck with me was, you owe your teammates your opinion. 
you know, we hired you for a reason and we all owe one another our thoughts and our opinions. And that was super helpful for me personally. What would, what advice would you give to your younger self? I would definitely give myself the advice of be comfortable taking even more risks. I, and I feel that, you know, most people would be like, are you kidding me? McCall takes plenty of risks. <laughs> but I think even taking more risks to share an idea that may not be popular, more risks to go to a different team and do something completely different even earlier on in my career and to not be wed to this notion of this is the career path. So being completely okay, unapologetic with taking on a little more risks and speaking up more. For people who are nervous about taking risks, are there small tips or advice or suggestions? Is it around taking baby steps or any any thoughts for those of us who may be nervous about doing that? Taking on risks is uncomfortable. And the discomfort is what will compel you to stop. So just going into it with the understanding that this will be uncomfortable, it's part of the process and even acknowledging it and saying, okay, I know I'm going to be uncomfortable. Today is really uncomfortable. Tomorrow won't be. And the next time I experience it, that discomfort will be less and less. Risk is uncomfortable and super scary. I will not mince words about it, but it gets you to a better place. How would you describe your leadership style? I, I'm super passionate about being a inspiring leader. But I also believe in being motivating and empowering your teams. The kind of things that I'm passionate about generally involve some change and meaningful change. And when you're asking people to go on a journey where it's not very clear exactly whether or not you'll be successful, super important to inspire, motivate, and empower people. And assume success. Assume that you will do well. Wealthmore sits at a fascinating intersection of human and technology. How do you think about the interplay of those two forces in the financial advisory space? I believe strongly that technology continues to play a key role. And without the advent of things that have helped us to sort of better manage money in a more efficient way, in a more sort of condensed way in which we can better educate people about different financial products and tools, wealth more could not be an idea that we could sort of conceive of. So kudos to all of the great technology and the firms like the Betterments, the wealth fronts of the world that have shepherded that through and helped create some of these technology platforms. But as you look at the emotional connection, the very real emotional connection that people have with their money, you begin to realize that there is a human element that's still very much needed. There is that financial literacy that is dramatically helped when people can actually connect with someone and have that person explain to them different financial constructs or products. And there's also that bit of reassurance that I'm making the right decision. And we have looked across all different wealth segments and it is never ceased to amaze me that whether you are super rich or starting off, people want the assurance that they're making the right decisions. And you can call it a health check. You can call it a fear of missing out. But there is still that need of, hey, am I doing this right? Have I set aside enough money to send my kids to college? Have I done enough for my retirement planning? Am I making the right investment versus this asset versus another asset? 
And I think that's where the human element can continue to play a pretty big part. The emotional aspect of money is, is so huge. I mean, we know a lot of the rules of thumb, how much we're supposed to save, how much is okay to spend on rent, how much we should be putting in our 401ks. But if we don't understand why we spend on the things that we spend on going out or vacation or clothes or whatever it may be, it becomes really difficult for us to, to change our habit. You know, if you sort of dig really deep down, money is not about the clothes or the vacation or anything. It's about the peace of mind or the freedom or the independence or the ability to support family. So I, I love that. How does Wealthmore think about bringing that human element more and more into our financial decision making? We sort of approached this from two dimensions. One, we were noticing that there were a lot of people that have been left behind that the industry has not always been particularly focused on. Women, Blacks, Hispanic, first-generation wealth has not been sort of given the kind of attention that I think is warranted. So we looked at those communities and said, okay, well, what are the challenges? So there's some trust issues, there's some financial literacy issues, there's a lack of familiarity with investing. And we looked at, okay, well, how do you address this? Is it enough to post articles? Is it enough to create videos and content, et cetera? And when we went out to users, the feedback was not exactly. We'd like access, but the access tends to come at a pretty steep premium. Larger accounts, larger minimums, higher fees. And we started looking at that space and really thinking through how can we make high quality financial advice accessible and affordable to more people. And that's when we started looking at technologies and platforms that could enable that. And then also looking at the regulatory environment and seeing, hey, how can we do this? And even realizing that some of the traditional frameworks, while well-intended, had the unintended consequence of making it harder for people to get access to that high quality information. And that's how we started thinking about how do you move these puzzle pieces together in a way in which you can actually deliver great advice at scale, but also allow people to feel part of a community that's bigger and remove the sort of old structure of you're sort of doing this alone or you're doing it just with a single advisor who may not necessarily be a pro and know all of the dimensions of financial planning. And we started to just reimagine the framework of how could this be different and how could it better serve up and coming generations who are very digitally savvy, enjoy video content, want things more in real time, less inclined to walk into an institution, want to be able to text and DM. And when we started to expose the concept to users, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. And the need for advice and other studies have been done that shows millennials actually have a less financial literacy than previous generations, wow. which is actually mind-boggling given all the information that's out there. But they have been over-educated on things like credit and credit score, which I, I take a lot of pride in having led a portfolio that was very much about financial health and making the score more accessible. And we did all sorts of cutesy campaigns around demystifying the score and getting people comfortable with that. 
But there's still all these other swim lanes of wealth building that we still have so much work to do. So around financial protections, how to invest, how to manage tough times in the market, we have all these critical swim lanes that we just have not made as much progress. But I'm inspired by the fact that we've done it with things like credit, so we can certainly do it with the other swim lanes. One of the difficult parts of wealth building that that we've seen in some of our work that we've done with clients has been around helping consumers think through not just the balance of their needs and wants today, but what might future me need or want several years down the road from now. One of the things that I thought was incredible about Wealth More, in addition to the education building and the community, is I think you you think about wealth in an interesting way, not just being tied to retirement solely. Tell us a little bit more about that, if you don't mind. It's always been something that I, it's never sat well with me, this notion that all of the messaging, the content, can ads after ads around wealth building, and they're so tied to retirement. And it's, and the marketing, if you look at marketing spend, it is hyper-focused on 55 plus. So either you're retiring or pre-retiring. And we've essentially said, until you reach that milestone, you don't need wealth planning advice, guidance, et cetera. You can sort of go it alone. And I've, I've never felt that that was the right messaging necessarily. And hence, when you look at our content, it's about wealth. It's not about retirement. Of course, retirement, the more wealth you have, by all means, you will retire far more comfortably. But we really wanted to move away from that to make wealth building a more everyday thing, a more sort of aspirational and attainable thing in real time versus it's this arrival or point of arrival that happens magically at 65. Are there other firms in the space, either financial inclusion, advisory, wealth management that you admire? Yeah, you know, I I have just a tremendous amount of respect for a lot of the work that's being done. Um, When I look back at the industry, I don't know if anyone or if the industry really had sort of come to terms with what is its objective function? And I think the industry in the last 10 to 20 years has really gotten more comfortable with the notion that, hey, we are here to help our customers. And if you were to go back and look at mission statements and objectives dating back 20 plus years, I don't think that language and that positioning would have been as customer-centric. So I think the budgeting tools, savings, planning, spend analysis, all of these tools are helping the customer better understand their money, get smarter, make wiser decisions. And for that, I think everyone deserves like kudos for moving into that space, though I'm sure some of us could have gotten there a lot faster. But I do really have a lot of appreciation for folks that continue to communicate credit score wealth building, continue to look at the cost of entry and barriers of entry. And I think those are fundamental things that make for a financial system that works better for all of us. And I think that work just needs to continue to happen and really look at some of these products and their legacy constructs and how to make them work better. As there are many firms who are moving mountains to to propel the industry forward, there are also amazing leaders who are looking to propel the talent in the space. You're incredibly passionate about mentorship and sponsorship. 
Tell us a little bit about your style and around how you think through these two important things. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge believer in the importance of mentoring talent, but equally, if not more, sponsoring talent. As you go through your career, you get a better sense for how decisions are made and how work is assigned and critical initiatives are assigned and how those things play just a tremendous, have a tremendous impact on one's career and the speed in which people move and what sort of roles they get down the line. And you realize quickly you need to have sponsors at the table. You need to have someone who will vouch for that talent and say, yes, I've worked with them, or I believe they're ready for a stretch opportunity. And as we have looked to create more opportunities for women, Black women, more diverse groups, I think we've at times lost the importance of that sponsorship piece. Early in my career, there were a number of formal mentoring programs. And I I strongly believe I benefited from those programs. Were the first few meetings awkward? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. A lot of like awkward first dates, like how do you prepare? What do you say? And was every particular meeting a great match? No, but there was this dual accountability in the organization for helping talent work with mentors, creating visibility, creating opportunity. And certainly, yes, awkward first dates, but eventually you built relationships and you built relationships with those who were needed at that table to say, yes, I'm working with this person on initiative. I think they're ready for this stretch opportunity. And I have not seen anything, though I'm not saying this, the process was perfect, but I've not seen anything that remotely resembles that or has been as effective as some of these other programs have been. Any advice that you would give to people seeking sponsorship or to to sponsors or would-be sponsors around how to make the relationship most successful? Yeah, I definitely think that you need sponsors. I've not seen it happen successfully without sponsors. And I think you have to cultivate those relationships because some of your most passionate sponsors may leave the organization, move into different roles, they may retire. And so the sponsorship thing is key. And a lot of us women, particularly minority women, have been told, just go in there and keep your head down and do great work. That is just the worst advice put it in the trash, burn it, like just horrible. You need to build relationships. You need to make sure the work that you're doing is recognized. Ideally, you have a leader who's doing that, but you also need to be your biggest fan, your biggest advocate. And you do, given how the work has work infrastructure has evolved over time, you actually have to play a very proactive role in doing that. You know, and I would say it is not my natural inclination to tout my like, oh, look what I've done. Look what I've done. That's just not my natural inclination. But it is key that people know, hey, here are the difficult projects I'm taking on. Here are the outcomes that I'm driving for the business. Because if you're not doing it, sadly, more often than not, there's not necessarily someone who's out there doing it for you. Mm -hmm. And if you're lucky enough to be a sponsor, 
a helpful reminder for all of us to continue throwing those kudos out to the world on behalf of all of our teammates. Absolutely. Definitely shine the spotlight on someone else. You know, I remember attending a conference and one of my favorite things that a woman on the panel said was when you ride that elevator to the top, send it back down. You really have to do that. And I would say that you just need to keep doing that. Sponsor more people, mentor more people. But I do it with one request and that is pay it forward because the amplifier is way more powerful. So if I am mentoring someone, my singular request is that they're also mentoring someone else. Send the elevator back down. I love it. When we look back at years from now, what do you hope your legacy will be? You know, I, I feel like I've already laid some of these building blocks, be it through financial health platforms, introducing responsible borrowing tools, capabilities. And I want to continue to build on that legacy, making the financial system work for more of us, allowing the system to find its way to serve customers while still delivering for investors and allowing, we know we're not, we are not non-for-profits, but we can do a tremendous amount of good while still doing well. And for those who are listening today, what would your call to action be for them? How can others learn more or help propel this mission to drive financial inclusion for more people? Yeah. Getting to where we need to be is not a spectator sport. And if you are in a seat of influence, can impact things, my strong recommendation is that you really look at your products, your processes, the way you go to market, and think about how can we make this more inclusive? It will not happen by spontaneous combustion. <laughs> it will happen by really looking to say, hey, is there, what stops a person from getting this product? Does this product resonate with the consumer base? Am I too narrowly focused on one group? Does our marketing or positioning, do our people who are out there interacting with customers, do they have the right approach to ensure that they are not inadvertently excluding people? And I can tell you just in the time in which we have gone through the process of marketing and research for Wealth More, we have come across so many unintended, like, interactions where it has not been the most inclusive. McCall, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. It has been incredible to get to know you, your mission, and all the work that you're doing at Wealthmore. We will be not just cheering you on from the sidelines, but actively in there supporting you and helping to propel this forward. And we are so eager and look forward to seeing what you and the team accomplish going forward. So thank you so much for such an inspiring session. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you for the opportunity to continue our work and get the word out. This is always a pleasure, and I'm just thrilled that we had an opportunity to chat today.